0: Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Boehm. If this, if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. How about that intro, huh? Shout out Ben Walsh of Tiger's Jaw for honoring us with a cover of the theme song, on um, episode 50, I had asked Andy Holt from Manchester Orchestra to do a rendition of it, and he uh, he did it awesomely. And then I was thinking of other friends, and Ben Walsh immediately came to mind. And uh, yeah, huge Tiger's Jaw fan, huge fan of him, and he knocked it out of the park. How cool was that? How cool was that? Um, so I didn't know what to do for episode 100. I put it to the internet. I asked for some suggestions And a big response was you should have somebody interview you asking the types of questions that you ask your musical guests. So that's what we did. And I thought I should ask one of my best friends, Jordan Dreyer of La Dispute, to be the guest host. And he did an awesome job. But the problem that we hit was because we know each other so well we talked for a really fucking long time to the point where we had to actually stop and pick back up on Monday. So, uh, this is going to be a two parter. So now my worries about this being super self-indulgent, um, are now just, I have to just embrace it. (laughs) So you're going to get two episodes of Jordan and I talking. Um, but it is a very collaborative episode. We, we bounce back and forth between our, with a lot about our relationship and our two bands, Um, I think if you are are or have ever been a fan of Touche and Law Dispute, you're going to have a really, you're going to have a pretty good time. Um, As far as the bonus episodes, uh, because every episode has a bonus episode, which you can get over on the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. Normally, it's just an episode where subscribers uh, submit questions, but because I didn't want to... Um only have one for this two-parter. I split that in half because that was also the most amount of questions that I think have been submitted for an episode. So there's a two-part uh, episode there. So the first one will be up with this one. And then next week for part two, there will be a part two bonus episode as well. I hope that wasn't confusing. Um, but yeah, I was really excited to do this. This is really fun. Uh, I just really, 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 really... From the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you to anyone who has ever um, checked the show out, whether this is your first time here, whether you check in weekly, whether you check in every now and again when there's a guest that you're interested in, um, whatever it is, if you subscribe to the Patreon, all of that stuff, um, it's kept me motivated. Um, I started this show after Touche recorded Lament, and I found myself with a lot of downtime because it was right when the pandemic started. And this has been my way of um, truly feeling like I had a purpose, as kind of bleak as that might sound. Um, but it's routine is very healthy for me. And having something to do every single week um, has been very therapeutic. And it's continued to be therapeutic. Um, sometimes it can be a little overwhelming to get things done, um, especially while we're on the road. Um, but it's all very very, very rewarding. And I just want to really say thank you to everybody who has supported the show. We've been doing it now for two years. Um, I want to give a big thank you to Tim Crisp, my editor, who works very, very hard to bring the show to you every single week. I want to give a big shout out to the Hard Times Network, who give the show a home. Um, I want to give a big shout out to Deathwish to Anchorfish, Uh, to the sponsors of past Um, it really it's kept the show afloat so all right that's my uh, that's my victory lap on on the 100th episode now we're gonna get to it Um, thank you again for being here strap in this one's I think about two hours enjoy Welcome to the first ever podcast. It doesn't matter, man. We're just no, hanging we out. Do uh,
1: want. No, I am. I am finally after a hundred episodes. It's finally good to have you on my show, the first ever <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, for real though. No, anyway, <laughs> you call you called me uh, a, a week or so ago, asking me if I would host uh, the hundredth episode of this podcast, where you were uh, flipping the script and being interviewed yourself. It had been suggested to you on Patreon. You told me uh, during that phone call that you felt uncomfortable with the idea and and that you sort of I think tried to talk yourself out of it, but you had enough interest from people to 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 like finally pull the trigger and call and ask me to be the one who got to interview. Yeah. Uh, and and you you mentioned again that it felt self-serving to do. And and I, I think that I think you're the you're the absolute perfect person to have this conversation with, uh, because the things that make you an excellent podcast host, specifically talking about art and talking about music, are things that make you an exceptional podcast guest. Um and and it's something that I admire about you is your depth of knowledge, your your but 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 beyond that, your your passion for for this thing, for music, for art, for the counterculture and um I can't think of a better way to celebrate what you do here, speaking with people that you admire, that you value, that you are passionate about in our, in our niche and sub niches around it, than speaking to a person that I think really truly em- embodies the spirit of the counterculture, somebody who has, in, in a lot of ways, uh, dedicated your adult life to it, to advocating for, for, for punk, for hardcore, for movies, for art, for music writ large. And I think, uh, I can't think of a, I think, I think when I listen to your podcast and I've been listening to it for, I don't know, since the beginning, since, uh, you started doing it, I think that, that what it, what it really does is, is it celebrates people and it celebrates art. And, uh,
0: that's super awesome. I, I, I really appreciate that. It's funny. I never, when I had this idea and it was like, you know, it's not lost on me where <laughs> starting a podcast over the pandemic as like fucking white dude who sings in a, in a <laughs> punk band, you know what I'm saying? I was like, what's the, you know, I'm, I'm fitting into a, into a hole here, but um, you know, I, it was inspired because I wanted to, I missed the conversations that we were all having in, back rooms or or yeah. whatever you know what i'm saying like backstage rooms or green rooms or you know the, the coffee shop down the street i miss that connection of seeing um my creative friends in different environments in different cities every day <laughs> so it's kind of filling that hole but what i didn't expect was for this show to take on a life of being kind of a motivational show for a mm-hmm. lot of people you know i think that it, the importance of hearing like the humble beginnings of people sure. um really does help a lot. Cause you know, I was saying early on, it's like I think that we live in a time where um I, I feel bad for for even like younger generation people, people in their 20s, because um living your life through like social media and and that sort of like instant gratification sort of mindset, thinking that as soon as you start doing something within a year, you're gonna be killing it is like mm-hmm. it's kind of dangerous. you know um for your mental health for all of that so um i think the 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 like weekly almost reminders uh depending on whatever your interest in the art form is of hearing about like you know uh being rejected for a really really long time or like no one giving a shit about this band until their fourth record like all these sorts of different things that so many of us have gone through um or know people that have gone through um it certainly keeps me inspired and then you know that's also continued to inspire me to do the show every week because I'll have a great conversation that gets me excited you know i Ooh. can talk myself out of things pretty quickly i'm historically a cart before the horse person too <laughs> um that's something i've forever struggled with i mean we've yeah. been friends long enough i've probably pitched you dumb ideas that you never heard me talk about again uh in our lives um but yeah it's like uh one I can get into my own head about a lot of things, but then I'll just have a really good conversation with somebody and it'll get me excited to, to then just keep going kind of totally. a thing. So the show yeah. served a lot of great purposes for me personally, Been and I'm just so thrilled that it's helped anyone else in any other sort of Absolutely. way too. No. And I think
1: it's like increasingly important right now. I mean, to, to, to try to find a way when all the cards are effectively stacked against you to make it in Music, but specifically, like our our sub niche of music, is always been really fucking hard. But uh, it gets harder. I, I yeah, think every six months with the way we've transitioned to digital and how the pandemic has absolutely decimated touring financially. Already, a famously not lucrative industry has become <laughs> less lucrative and more difficult to navigate. So I think it, it serves a super important function to be able to like communicate, have those conversations so that there aren't, I mean, yeah. So you, so you like, know you know, exactly what the struggle is, you know, that it's sort of been present since the outset and you know, that there's a way to do it. And again, not to gas you up too much, cause I don't want you to have a bigger ego than I have, but <laughs> uh <laughs> but like but like uh i think you're 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 truly a masterclass in in making your passion your life and it's something that i admire about you and have for uh you know for a long time as as friends but as somebody who's uh looked up to you in a lot of ways as you know someone who's a bit younger than you and and uh it's always been helpful to to have you as a kind of guiding light sort of a, a north star And I think that Ah. a lot of people feel that way. So, so uh, I wanted to say off the bat, thank you for, for doing this, for giving people a platform, for uh, opening up the conversation to, to people who are younger and and considering to pursue it uh, or having difficult times and considering abandoning it. It is fucking worth it to do. Uh,
0: That's awesome. uh, Thank you so much, Yeah, Really, truly, truly.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I feel very privileged to be, The one who gets to ask you stupid fucking questions.
0: Um, (laughs) Let's fucking go. Let's let's go. Let's do it. It's funny. Asking these questions so many, these (laughs) sorts of questions so many times to different guests. Um, I know for for, uh, not to cut you off before we were about to start, but like there's certain shows that I listen to that have sort of like the built-in questionnaire. Yeah. And it's fun to then think of like how you would answer those questions. I don't uh-huh. know if you listen to many I I don't know if we've ever talked about many movie podcasts maybe that you might listen to. But that guy Brett Goldstein hmm. um yeah. from who plays uh, who's in a fucking the uh the soccer show everybody likes. Um, uh Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Thank you. <laughs> he has a great fucking podcast called movies to get buried with or movies uh, films to be buried with okay where he just gets guests and it's literally the same like 15 questions you know like like you know from like the first movie you saw in a theater to like um what's the funniest movie you've seen what's the scariest movie you've seen and you've listened to these great answers and and whatever and it just makes you think like man if i was a guest on this show what would i ask so Yeah, yeah yeah I've been asking these questions for so long, and and it's funny because I've hardly considered how I would answer them myself. I was going to
1: ask you that. Yeah, I was like, Um, I feel like I can't surprise Jeremy because he's going to have canned answers because he's had ninety nine episodes to consider (laughs) these things.
0: But no, it's but it kind of gets me excited because I haven't totally thought, and I also don't know exactly which ones you're going to ask too. So there's also that kind of fun thing too because sometimes I change them just a little bit. So yeah, yeah, so I'm excited. I mean, I have
1: just the uh, the opening question and the ending question written down, but I sort of figured you know, we just talk and, 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 you know, like we've been friends long enough that we can, we can riff, we can be off the cuff and we can talk. But I mean, if if we, since we're talking about it, I'm just going to ask that, that first question, uh, what was the first thing you connected with musically that maybe wasn't something that, you know, played in your house or whatever, growing up, something that you found organically maybe.
0: Yeah. So, um, what started
1: your musical journey?
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah. Music wasn't, definitely wasn't very prominent in my house and and what's funny is even just recently so um Ashley and I have been like um redecorating our house and stuff and and when I moved uh, all of the stuff out of my mother's house after she had passed we had I remember like she always had these ro- like literally like in our living room like like racks and racks of, of vinyl and it was always just kind of used as furniture um, and we kept one of those racks. Um, the only reason you would think I'd want to keep all of them because they're like vintage and like kind of mid-century looking, but they're like, they just destroy fucking record covers. Like they're not made oh, yeah. well. Like it's, 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 it's not uh it's not a great system. So like, Um, though we had all these records in our living room, my I don't I can't think of a single time my mom ever put on a record. Sure. Um it's which is interesting. But they but you know, I never really went through them thoroughly until after she had passed. And it was just like exactly what I expected. It's like it was a ton of like 80s and early nineties um country music and a lot of stuff that I was not like, well, I'm holding on to this, you know? So um I that was never really too present i just knew that she liked elvis so does my dad so it's like Hmm. that's whatever it is what it is um so i you know early on i think the first thing that i remember hearing that was like really really kind of exciting was was like michael jackson like i like me and my like my brother i think liked it too but i mean i was like I wanted a jean jacket and I put a bunch of like pins on it that were probably from like universal studios, definitely not a red leather jacket that was like studded out, you know, but I remember really liking Michael Jackson as like the first musical thing that I ever heard. But then um, I became really obsessed with just the radio, you know, like, and it wasn't a specific, a specific band or anything like that. But this is when I'm like, probably seven, seven Mm -hmm. or eight years old. So my parents were divorced and when, um, I remember specifically we went on a trip to Nebraska, which is where my mom's from Right, and my dad, uh, <laughs> which is the most, my dad thing ever, he would just put a, a blank cassette into a, into a cassette player and hit record to just record a radio station. Sure. um to get to just to get the songs and then he mailed me that tape so i could hear the re- but like i just like this is where i know my dad and i have very little in common If that was me i would have paused it for the commercials now my dad just <laughs> let the commercials play so i was just Dude, like I, love that. I remember even at six i'm like really the commercials yeah. um but uh but yeah so you know i i'm assuming at that time it was probably a lot of like It would have been like pop radio of like the late '80s, so it would have been like on the line of like almost like the R&B sort of stuff, like um, more like in the vein of like a Paula Abdul sort of stuff. Like I was, I liked that that like era of like yeah, like female pop,
1: late '80s, early '90s. Totally, exactly.
0: And then, um, and not to just go on a tangent and just like name all these different things, but like it was from there that you know eventually I discovered rock music, and that was like through like. You know, the the usual thing. The typical early of like, night
1: like grunge, the, like the
0: Pearl Jams and the Nirvanas and stuff. Sure. Um I've I've kind of historically told the story of seeing the Nirvana um video for uh, I'm sorry, the uh Pearl Jam music video for a live where where like Eddie vedder climbs up on the balcony and stage yeah. dives. And I just remember as a kid just watching that and being like, You fucking
1: serious? Like you were like one day I will make people
0: stage dive. Yeah. I mean also <laughs> as a, as like a, it was more so like I think seeing the amount of attention that Eddie Vedder mm-hmm. was getting from an audience and being the younger brother where you're just, you know, kind of fighting for attention with your sibling, sure. seeing this guy up climb this thing that looked dangerous. And then all these people are below him and wanting to catch him as he jumped. I was just like, I can't think of anything. I, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And just like, you know, started me down a path of being interested in guitar music. Sure. Yeah.
1: Sick. I love that, that it was like that you're a a response to an existing relationship in your life too. just like being the little brother, finding a way to like, uh, be the center of attention in a way, get, get noticed.
0: Yeah. I mean, do you, I feel like as any person who fronts a band, like there's that that's built in you as a young, you know, as at anything, it's like, there's, there's the wanting the attention aspect and I don't care who you are. Like you can be the most introverted person you and i have histories of being introverted people like in a lot of ways um i think it's why our friendship is so strong as as it is because you and i are very similar in so many ways but like um it gets turned off when you get to perform and i know you did a lot of theater so Mm -hmm. i'm uh so i imagine like for you even that was probably that first initial step into that sort of attention
1: absolutely it's a weird thing where it's like uh yeah, I don't know, because it's not—it's not like you, it's not like a desire for celebrity. Obviously, because we would have pursued different avenues if, <laughs> yeah. if if we were looking for like a a big platform. But there's just something about entertaining. There's something about performing that I think is like really in in your DNA in in a sense. And I think there's a reason that you and I, when we were younger. Uh, you know, didn't didn't like get guitar lessons off the bat, and that wasn't the thing, or like piano lessons or whatever. When you're young, it was like you saw Eddie Vedder, and you wanted to sing in a band. I remember, you know, like seeing Rage Against the Machine, and like buying fucking Battle of Los Angeles, and like being in my bedroom and pretending I was Zach because I, I wanted to be the person to communicate. I wanted to be the person. uh yeah, I don't know. I want it to be the, the focal point in a way that, I don't know, it's d- difficult to explain, but I, I love sure. that you had that at, like, such a young age. Yeah, like.
0: but what's what's funny is I I don't think I ever saw myself getting to be a singer because um, I knew I couldn't sing, and this mm-hmm. is before I knew what punk rock was, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, like, I, you know, my my only thought of singing was like being in church on Sundays when I got dragged to church every you know every other week or every week so like right. pulling out the, hy- the hymnal yeah exactly and it's like <laughs> I'm hearing these songs and I'm like I'm not sing- this I, I don't think this is correct and uh, <laughs> I just never you know I'm trying to sing along to like you know whatever pop music I liked it as a kid it's so like I feel like you probably learn pretty young whether you can sing and you have no you know like no one no one's going up to a six year old being like "Listen, there's the Bob Dylans of the world, you know it's like you don't learn that until later in life right, so totally. um so I did uh I got a guitar I asked for a guitar in like when i was uh, it was junior high, so I'm assuming I was probably like eleven eleven or twelve or something, and it was just like the Fender Squire Strat generic black and white guitar that is most people's first guitars, right, yeah. Um, and I did take, I took four lessons and this guy couldn't have made his lessons more boring for someone who wants to play. You know what I'm saying? It was like the first, I think the first lesson was like trying to teach me how to tune the guitar, which never helped. Um, cause you know, I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So it was like tuning the guitar was like the first lesson. And like by the fourth lesson, he was trying to teach me how to read music. Jesus. Which I was just like, I
1: slowly rolled, dude.
0: Yeah, I was, and then you know, <laughs> I I think it was around that time that a friend, uh, had learned what the power chord was, and that's when, that's when it all, that that's rolled. when I was like, I don't need another lesson in my life. Yeah. I can now play, fucking glycerin from Bush. Get out of my <laughs> way, <laughs> you know.
1: Dude, great song.
0: The whole record. Fantastic.
1: it's not bad. It's not, no, bad it's not bad i said fantastic well, maybe not maybe yeah, i'll pump the brakes i'll slow my you know, own
0: vocal. i'll it's also say great. what was the last time you put on 16 stone and just like listen to the songs that weren't the hits because i feel like they sound yeah. very different than the hits i was ju- i you was know, like shocked by that
1: i feel like that was an era in which like singles were very much catered to uh to an audience so i feel like there's always kind of a I I, I listen to a lot of records from that era and we're getting on a tangent here, but I feel like a lot of the songs are kind of filler because it feels like they they wrote a handful of songs that were intended to be played for a larger yes. audience on the radio. And then they wrote a bunch of other songs that just like rounded out the track list because you needed to have a full album to sell for twelve ninety nine at Sam Goody or whatever. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure that there's a song with a lot of wah wah pedal, which I'm that's sure the only. I'm, that's the only thing I'm thinking of. in the wah wah pedal is my actual <laughs> is my is my enemy. I hate <laughs> I hate the wah wah pedal. Aside Dude, from, awful. you know what, I I don't even think I like it when Rage Against the Machine uses it. I'll I'll even go that far. Uh, Damn, I like that's when they
1: old. Yeah, is that, I like I would it. Say that's the only acceptable application, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I like it w I like uh I like when Tom Morello just does the really hard single notes that are just the heaviest things. Yeah, Give me yeah. that. Give me yeah, that.
1: Totally. It's just like, when it gets
0: yeah. all I'm, yeah.
1: the 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 like requisite rage against the machine, waka waka guitar bridge. It's That's what I'm like, saying. Yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah, um, I'm checking I'm, out. Brief, brief tangent on Bush. I was in the studio years ago. This is I think doing panorama, and I was Will was in the bathroom and I was in the lounge and we were, it was just the two of us we were just like finishing up vocals and we were talking about I wish I could remember the name of the song that that song that Bush song on Razorblade Suitcase that was the single like in the middle of the world on a fish hook anyway I don't know what it's called yeah sang on your podcast which was a horrible mistake but I love it uh, I was just like lit, lit, playing it really loud and talking to Will through the bathroom door and I didn't realize that the dudes in turnstile were like passing through and coming in to say what's up so they just like open the door to the lounge as i'm like air drumming and yelling about bush to that was the only time i think that i've ever met the dude in turnstile was like oh hey guys i'm listening to bush on my iphone and screaming about this bridge part to will anyway let's get back uh, on track Or no i'm not get back to track
0: I'm assuming the song is Swallowed. That's the swallowed, first... swallowed, okay. swallowed, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, Which... and I'm,
0: I'm not going to say that I pull, I literally just pulled to the Wikipedia, but what, I, what I'm shocked by, and this is another very 90s thing, um, so the first single came out in October of 96. This is so fucking 90s. The second single, January 97. Third single, <laughs> April 97. Dude. Fourth single, December 97. How? What? How, did that, how does that work? <laughs> I feel like, you know what, we can turn this into a conversation about about the world we're living in today. Because um, the idea, like, we live in a, we, for, for, I, for many years now, it's like a band is expected to put two to three singles out before the album is actually even released. Mm -hmm. and back when it was always singles coming out as the record was very available everywhere like it might have even only been one single before the record came out but i wonder if the thought was like why would we put out a single when no one can purchase this yet you Hmm. know yeah totally i mean
1: well it must have been but but
0: (laughs) it just seems so foreign to me now like, it's crazy, right?
1: The, the, I mean, the radio was the the primary means of dissemination, and MTV, right? So, like, you yeah. could put a record out, and then you just like, like, space out periodically singles to release to to send to the radio stations to play. It all seems it, so antiquated to me now, given that the yeah, MTV it's just taken entirely stack- different.
0: Yeah, it must have just been, like, taking more stabs at, like, maybe we can sell another hundred thousand if we put out this probably, single that maybe yeah. these people somehow haven't bought yet. Right, yeah. No. Like, I mean, right. Jagged Little Pill had, like, eight singles out the of... Whole... Yeah, we always <laughs> joke that,
1: like, some friends of mine back home, we always joke about that, Alanis Smart, Jagged Little Pill, uh, that first Third Eye Blind record, that Matchbox 20 record, yourself or someone like you, like, records that I never owned when I was a kid, and then I'd like, you know, whatever, buy used CDs when I was older at the record store in Grand Rapids, just because they were like, you know, three bucks for Jagged Little Pill, whatever. And then I'd put it on and I'd be like, I know every song on this record. <laughs> I've never right? purchased it. Like, how do I know eight of 13 tracks or whatever? Because there was just, yeah. it was just like two years of that record going through cycles because the singles were being released periodically
0: yeah i think one time on a long van drive we were having the conversation i'm assuming it was just clayton and i to be honest with you <laughs> but like like what record has the most singles and i think jagged little pill is like it's at of... the very top of that list yeah it's fun it to think to... about what else could be on there i mean like even nevermind has four
1: yeah but or, i think about jim blossoms but i feel like all those records kind of blend together to me it's that era of like mid 90s like all rock where i feel like it's like the golden age of yeah r- like releasing dookie, the entire track list as, yeah as like dookie is
0: three i think it's long basket case when i come around yeah. so maybe there's one more uh, welcome to paradise four yeah four but uh it's fascinating i don't know if you're Definitely. if you're if you're listening and we're missing something um you can just you, you can direct it exactly to Jordan's personal email which of the five uh, do you want to give um on the live <laughs> not, on the air? Not,
1: not the hotmail account that you emailed me uh, this this <laughs> podcast link to that's that's a, an email address I I keep strictly for our correspondences
0: <laughs> Uh, uh you're fascinating you're all I you know. have always been fascinating to I, me Jordan.
1: this is not about me this is about you this is your this is your uh, uh this is episode 100 this is episode 100 jordan interviews jeremy so uh let's not talk about my email address okay. let's talk about uh let's talk about your musical journey again we're going back
2: <laughs> yeah let's so, go
1: so so like you, you that was you know whatever we talked about pearl jam was there like you, you know you took guitar lessons because you because you knew inherently that you i mean based on how you understood it at the time couldn't sing was there a record that that introduced you to the subculture to to like the counterculture was there there a punk record or 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 not maybe not even that maybe just like a record that like bridged the gap because i think for a lot of us it was a record that maybe uh didn't fit strictly into that universe but maybe opened the gates to it
0: yeah, it's it was uh No Effects, Punk and Drublic, which is a very West Coast, a very West Coast answer. Um yeah. I feel like that record was like <laughs> dropped off in everyone's mailbox here if you were like <laughs> a certain age group. Like I genuinely don't know how I even came across it to be honest with you, but yeah. I think it wasn't too far after I was into Green Day. <laughs> like I had Dookie and I was a fan, but then I remember the commotion that um there's a no effect song off of punk and drubble called leave it alone and k-rock the big station here played it and the band the band like revolted against it and was like do not play us on the radio like that is not a like kind of a thing and i remember at that age which would have been you know that i think that would have been 94 95 i'm assuming like even at that age where I'm like 11 years old or something like that, or 12, I'm hearing that being like, this band is saying, I don't want to be on the radio. Like that's so punk. And then it made me like almost kind of go back on green day, you know, as if, as if I have some moral authority over (laughs) fucking anything, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so that was a
1: big part of the conversation at the time. Yeah. I mean, that's like famous. It's like a notable, uh, you know, like a Gilman street, graffiti anti-billy joe whatever like that That green day deciding to release a record on a major was like a big thing and probably a bigger thing in california i would imagine just because it was connected to this whole like punk network
0: and to be honest with you i didn't like that side of it didn't even connect to me because to me i'm like nirvana and green day are like i think they're both on geffen it's like they're Mm. they're like that's all cool you know and it's like whatever but um I don't think I knew what epitaph records was yet or like, I do not know how punk and drop like entered my life. Like I wish I could actually figure it out. It might've even been just like a skater kid in my junior high, a year or two older. Maybe I saw his shirt or something like that. And then I found it at the, at the corner of my street and it's cool because I didn't even know what the reference to this record store was, but at the corner of my street, when I was growing up was a record shop called DB Cooper's and I Uh had no idea who db cooper was until i was much older and like in retrospect i'm like that is the sickest fucking record store name of all time <laughs> like yeah totally the hell um for those listening i think there's even a new netflix documentary which i haven't watched yet about db cooper but he's uh, a guy who hijacked a plane and parachuted out and was never found yeah and- washington, in
1: washington in the in my my uh current state of residence i think
0: oh is that right is yeah, where I, guess he, I where
1: he bailed from the plane i'm not entirely sure if he's i'll pull up the wikipedia article uh i don't know if he's from here but not that any of this matters but i think that's where he uh disappeared
0: yeah and there's like anyway, you know ahead. so many people believe that the guy died on impact um but also there's i think folklore that like that some of the money that he uh took off with when he parachuted out of the plane was like traced later like mm-hmm. as if it was being used but like who's to say someone didn't find that next to his dead body out in the woods somewhere. So (laughs) like it's a, and then I don't think they ever recovered the money. So fascinating story. Anyway, there's a record shop called DB Cooper's and that shop played a huge role, a huge role in my life as I got older, because um, I would go in there and they had a 99 cent section. So (laughs) I think this is important to the story where um. Being in Burbank, growing up in Burbank, California, which is considered the media city capital of the world, um, people from other parts of the United States or the world, um, they've all been pointed to Hollywood, California as like, that's where dreams are happening. That's where the movies are being made. Um, Not necessarily true. Burbank is right over the hill from Hollywood. Um, As soon as you cross over that hill from on Barham, you have... You're looking at the the Warner Brothers lot, which is uh, famously in everything uh, like you've seen it depicted everywhere. Uh, for instance, the Animaniacs uh, live the in the first, water tower. That's baby. the first
1: place my brain went. I was like <laughs> debating in my head if I was going to say it out loud. But yeah, I got my immediately picture the Animaniacs. Open, but go uh,
0: I'm pretty sure Patrick Kinlan on the Thrice tour we did uh, when introducing the bands every night, he would say from Burbank, California, home of the Animaniacs. <laughs> uh but yeah there's the water tower there and sure enough that's where uh the animaniacs live anyway uh yeah i mean it has disney it has abc it has warner brothers it has a lot of the major record labels it has nbc it has you know like all all of the stations are here all of the the production companies are here um so but what happened what works in the favor of record stores that were here which there was a couple when i was growing up there was db cooper's there was one Um, that I have found no trace of online. I've tried to like research anything about it because it disappeared in the late 90s, but there was a store called The Vinyl Frontier. Um, There was Backside where I ended up working as I got older. Um, And then there was a warehouse music uh, also around the corner from my street where I would go to buy concert tickets. So um, what I'm getting at is there's a loophole to where um, if someone who's working, if some disgruntled intern at one of these record labels, uh, once to make a buck, they would grab a box of 30 promo CDs and sneak them out the back sure, and take them to the record store and they would buy them at a used cost. And then the loophole was, because they'd always say for promotional use only, not for sale. Yeah. yeah, The loophole was you can sell them for secondhand price. You just can't sell them at a brand new price. So. Okay. Uh, because of that, all of these different record shops in my town were getting the new releases and they were being sold for five ninety-nine, six ninety-nine. So sick. Yeah. So like I would, you know, and then so and they would get so many of them that um event over time a lot of them would become 99 cents CDs. I'm not like a kid who's coming from from any sort of, you know, money at right. all. So like if I'm getting my five dollar a week allowance. You know, I could maybe be walking home with three CDs, you know, tax depending. So it was extremely exciting. And I and I found a lot of random, random bands that are like so lost to time, which I think um, started my, you know, completely nerdy encyclopedia brain of useless knowledge of bands that never even had a hit that I can, you know, reference to nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so yeah, it's like you know, growing up with that in such close close proximity, like and those and those record labels being so present, like that was a huge advantage for someone who, um, after discovering No Effects, started to become less interested in the radio.
1: Yeah, okay, for sure. So, so uh, how, how? I mean, how old were you around this time? Like, just so walking walk to the corner store with your allowance money.
0: Probably between. I probably started that around the age of 11 and just continued, you know, uh all through high school and all of that. Um like Nirvana like I fell in love with Pearl Jam really quickly because of that, but uh because of like the Alive music video also um being seen having a song called Jeremy was the sure. most exciting thing. <laughs> um until Everyone sung that song to me for the remainder of my school career uh least funny thing in the entire world oh, thankfully dang. yeah that, nah, that got lost to time um but it's like yo jeremy spoke You're like uh-huh yep huh <laughs> um so uh but nirvana i became such a fanatic. like nirvana was my end all be all that, that was
1: your uh favorite yeah, sure
0: favorite Favorite band, favorite band. Um, and you know, uh, once the uh, you know, a big part of the story is like once after Kirk Cobain passed, which was like the day before my birthday, so I like, yeah, (laughs) hella took it like personally as like a little kid, like I was just so distraught by it. Um, I was very emotional and like genuinely felt like (laughs) music was just done. Like I was like, I was like, there's no coming back. Which you,
1: you weren't, you weren't alone. I think, I mean, I don't remember it really, but uh, I think that that was pretty commonly felt. People really had that connection.
0: Yeah. I mean, he was, he was a representative for so many people. He was, you know, the first uh, real rock star to reject so many of the things that we've all, that we were taught through the eighties and, everything that like you know uh the exploiting the riches and exploiting people and all of this stuff like that's
1: what the superficiality of the yeah that like sheen on everything and
0: yeah yeah and And...
1: and you're growing up in burbank you're growing up around so much of that facade i feel and maybe i'm wrong but just like that 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 like uh presentation versus reality in in los angeles has to be more pronounced than a lot of other places because it's such a cultural capital and because of the the film industry and the music totally industry.
0: what what that did too though was um i mean i know in the 90s it was prevalent across everywhere but i would i would really bet that the definition of latchkey kid is like mm. amplified in burbank california because uh so many kids who live there have folks who work in the industry right. and those industries uh don't um believe in a nine-to-five so like right. yeah um you know i lived right around the block from my high school and that you know growing up there and like going to school there it's like such a trip because the high school I went to is the high school that they filmed the wonder years at the TV show. So like you have, it's just like you're living inside of this weird (laughs) sort of Truman show esque like reality where you're like, you'll turn on TV and be like, Oh yeah, that's around the block or like, sure. You know, the opening scene of back to the future when, when, uh, Marty McFly skates out of the parking lot on his way to, to, to go to doc's house. Like, like, oh, that's the Burger King up the street. Like, that's the Burger King parking lot where the Toys R Us is. Like it it sort of warps your reality in a lot of ways. But um, you know, you sort of had to for, you know, better or worse, sort of like raise yourself. And I have an older brother, you know, and he and I were home alone a lot, you know, and like because we live directly around the block from the high school, um our home was like where everyone came over to hang out you know so our backyard was like you know all of our friends smoking cigarettes and just like you know being bad kids ditching school (laughs) and you know it's like we were that house you know what i'm saying um but my mom was always really cool you know like the one time i remember she came home and like scolded, you know was like discovered kids were like hiding cigarette butts like in the back like in like on this back wall you know how like dumb kids don't think like Mm. at all well dumb kids don't think at all period and statement (laughs) but like but like you know like a kid would be like oh well if i'm putting these cigarette butts on top of this wall surely they're gonna just disappear overnight and i'll never be caught but like she discovered the mounds of cigarettes from all my friends and you know i never smoked nor did my brother but like all of our friends did and um I remember she came home like ready to start screaming you know, everyone thought she was gonna start screaming at everybody. And she her response was basically like, if you're gonna smoke, use an ashtray, just put an <laughs> ashtray out there and walked away. <laughs> and I was just like, Your mom was fucking awesome. Dude. Um That's awesome. So uh so yeah, I got off on a on a tangent there. Anyway, um after after uh after Kurt died, um I there was like a I would say probably like a six month period where I was very unsure if I would what I would like going forward. I felt a little lost as a kid. Um, and I think I tried to do art classes, no artistic talent at all. Zero. Like my parents were nice enough to like, you know, entertain the idea. They put me in like an after school art program. Um, I think I brought home a painting and the three of us looked at each other, then looked back at the painting, then looked at each other and said, We should probably be saving this money, huh? <laughs> This is probably maybe this, be, this, this is probably for you. This is probably money better spent on maybe like a Nintendo game. Maybe I could yeah. maybe we could do that. <laughs> um. So so yeah. Uh. That happened, and uh. You know. Then came um. Metal. I saw the corn music video yeah. for Blind in '94. There was yeah. a station called the Box. Did you guys have the Box? I forget if we talked about this. Did you have the Box? Is it, it a radio station or a television? No. Station? so the box it's cool from doing the show now for, for a hundred, (laughs) um, there's, there's been like five or six guests and they're from way different parts of the country, not California. That on their own brought up the box. And I was like, (gasps) so the box was like channel. I want to say it could have been like channel 99 or something like that, but it was basically a video jukebox channel. So it would go through, when there wasn't a music video on, it would just be showing you the menu. So you would call pay, you know, probably a dollar or dollar 99. uh, And then you would type in the three digit number that coincides with the music video. And then it would come up on TV. Whoa.
1: That sounds so sick. We did not
0: have that. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about someone. I wish I could remember which guest it was. Fuck. Who was it? It might've, I don't think it was Pat Flynn. Someone was like, yeah, when you're young, you don't think about how like, probably every record label was just taking advantage of that and playing their music videos constantly. And I was like, I never thought about that. Oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. That's like the most seamless way to do payola of all time.
1: (laughs) Yup. Just just uh, like Wild West.
0: Yeah. But what I'm getting at is that that music video channel had music videos that would never be shown on MTV, especially not during the time of day when I'm watching MTV because I'm still young
1: so right, like they reserved all the that stuff at the time for like for like headbangers 2 a.m or yeah ball or like yeah the 2 a.m to 4 a.m just like music video all 120 minutes show, shows yeah, totally, yeah. yeah
0: so um yeah they had the music video for blind and i remember just being like what the hell like it's yeah. it's like there's kids moshing in that there's kids there's like it's they all have like this like greasy long hair or they have dreadlocks like what is the story they all have like pins you know like whatever (laughs) it's like what is the story so i bought that cassette and um just got then so obsessed with
1: for sure i knew we get i knew we get into the the new metal era of your life i've been looking forward to it because i mean i I i had one as well and i'm a bit younger than you so like even you know i didn't really have I mean, I remember my sister's boyfriend when I was like in elementary school, maybe like early middle school, like junior high, like giving us all his burn his like CDs from his like CD book in his car, and it was like a lot of, a lot of grunge, like a lot of Nirvana, like that's how I got in utero, and that's how I had Nevermind, and it's also how I like got into Pearl Jam and Verses and Vitalogy and and Ten and like shit like that. But like that was way after the fact. I feel when it was like. A, a big cultural moment um, yeah but when but like new metal was like you know like i rage against the machine was something my oldest brother i have a brother who's quite a bit older than me got me into and then that was sort of my gateway to other things but like total request live like the era of boy bands and britney spears and christina aguilera and it was like you 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 picked a side it was either that that was your thing or it was like uh and, and we and you've already mentioned it with with talking about fucking hearing. Uh, punk and drublick and like no effects being mad their song was being played on on k-rock or you know like yeah just just like uh how you gravitate towards the countercultural thing for whatever reason and
0: right and so yeah. yeah anyway
1: anyway i'm not sure what my point was no but like, no no
0: i get what you're saying so like it was uh i mean after kurt died when you really do reflect on those next five years because he died in 94 so like the next um you know uh, five and a half years of the '90s were so weird because you yeah. had you had new metal coming, you had the post grunge,
1: post grunge like uh, Bush and which,
0: yeah, which has some of the worst stuff of the '90s. You know, it's like that's when bands started to really gravitate towards the Eddie Eddie Vedder style of singing, but like yeah, the the butt rock it, vocal, yeah, the, the, yeah. So it's like you got new metal happening. You got rap metal starting to happen. You got uh, that's the Creed style of, of bands. um, And then this huge wave of pop music that is now about to take the whole world over. And they were like clashing in such a way. Yeah. (laughs) And the battleground was TRL, which is crazy to think about.
2: Yeah. Um, It's so weird.
0: Yeah, it really, it really was. And so, um, i yeah like being here in california um there i had some friends that we started going to you know to to localist shows and um the troubadour had these like monday night shows that were like three bucks if you're under 21 free if you were over 21 okay and again latchkey kid my mom was you know bless her heart kind of let me run wild like not you know she she knew I didn't have any interest in like doing drugs or drinking and things like that. So she kind sure. of thought whatever I was doing was probably fine. As long as I showed up to school the next day. So, um, seems like, a yeah, like policy, honestly. Yeah. And, um, so I had friends like, uh, uh, someone who is someone in my life from then that I'm so happy. I still know now is like, uh, like Sarah, who's one of the singers, who's the singer, the band youth code. Okay. Um, she was yeah. she was a part of this group. Uh, my friend Fern, who, i'm still very good friends with uh today he's a huge part of like the la hardcore scene um like we all would somehow get figure out getting rides to go to the troubadour on like weeknights in like freshman year of high school through the you know a few years of high school and we are seeing all of these new metal bands that were like local bands starting to play they play all these like they're kind of like showcases sure and they would just move on so quickly to quickly to like being on the radio or being on MTV. Like, dude, I saw like fucking alien Ant farm and popper Roach and static X and like, um, oh. system are down and, uh, Lincoln park when they were called hybrid theory, like all of these bands that were like local bands that within like a year were just huge. huge. Yeah. It was like a very fascinating thing to like see happening. Um, sure, yeah. and, I think the sadder story is like, what happened to the bands that it didn't work out for? <laughs> <I wonder> what, <laughs> whatever they are. You know, I had a lot of cassettes, a lot of cassette demos of a lot of those bands. I bet you did. I bet you had some,
1: what would like fascinating f- archival fire. history of new, mo- new metal and yeah, that, that I s- movement.
0: During early Touche touring days when I was very, very, very broke, needing to sell stuff to like, you know, live on yeah. tour to like just eat fast food um I would sell a lot. Like I sold a lot of that stuff on eBay, you know, sure. just to like i a, I didn't need it anymore. I hadn't listened to it. I, I think when I discovered it in like a in a box in my mom's garage, I was like, oh shit, this might be money. And then I, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember I sold a Hybrid Theory T-shirt in like a their demo CD, I think for a few hundred bucks. I was like, Sick. oh yeah, oh yeah. Kind of yeah, wish that's... I still had them today though. Yeah, t- I bet. now. Yeah, but... No
1: kidding. <laughs> probably go for quite a lot
0: yeah uh, yeah yeah so that that's was, wild it's such it a nice wild treasure time trove.
1: To think- yeah no kidding I, I it's such a wild time because like uh i mean looking back on it like that 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 era the new metal era in in the 90s early 2000s it's so strange because like obviously those bands were like uh propped up by an industry making significant Uh, you know money off of those bands popularity and and but it still felt like a conflict between conflict's the wrong word i think it was marketed as a conflict but like a contrast between the popular music of the time like the the homogenous boy band era and then new metal who are also on major labels and like making super polished like effectively a variation on on the same theme but yeah. like now nowadays the the, the uh, it's all so homogenized that it's difficult for me at times to tell the difference between what's what's pop and, music and what's not because the, the 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 way in which the two things feed off each other is like it happens at such a rapid pace that they're virtually indistinguishable but like it really felt like rushing home from school to catch TRL to see if Limp biscuits faith had yeah like, we kind of moved a up a
0: slot had
1: like moved up a slot was like a huge thing. it was like, yeah, and like for you and I who have always i think uh you know gravitated towards whatever like towards punk rock towards hardcore toward toward the 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 non dominant uh-huh. artistic form of any given era like we we really it makes sense that we attached ourselves to bands like that
0: and and what yeah, and what's another big fun conversation that's like a part of that same era is again how out of ideas major labels were to sure. where think of how many bands broke because of a cover in the late 90s yeah. so like it started i think with sweet dreams from marilyn manson yo catapulted him and then you Huge. got faith from Biscuit. You got Blue Monday from Orgy. Orgy I... <laughs> um, There's so many. Uh, you I mean, got alien, alien, Ant, alien Ant Farm. Alien Ant Farm. Yeah. Smooth Criminal. Mm-hmm. Um, you got. There's. I, there's, there's. I remember one time I, I did a list one time, and I was like, Jesus Christ. Um, but what's? But then there was the ones that didn't work, and you're like, oh. I remember cole Chamber's second record. They did a Shock the Monkey cover, which was like Peter Holy Gabriel. Holy shit! Yeah, Shock the Monkey. Oh my god, with Ozzy Osbourne, I think. Um, and also, <laughs> it's like, dude, Shock the Monkey. I'm sorry, not a household hit. No,
1: not a, a household hit. Do Salisbury yeah. Hill. Do a different Peter Gabriel song. Although, yeah. how do you new metalize that? Yeah. Point of term? Um. So yeah, there, I mean, a, interesting, right? Wasn't there a, a Fear Factory cover too? Wasn't there? Dude, cars. Oh yeah, holy shit! I know you're rocking the T. I...
0: Yeah, Gary Newman. They covered Cars, and honestly, dude. their cover—all they added was a. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: all he needed. dude.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Deathwish Inc. For over 20 years, Deathwish has been the go-to label for emerging punk and hardcore. That continues today with recent releases from scene staples and promising newcomers such as Modern Life Is War, Greek Death, Chastity, Converge frail Body and more. Get 10% off all Deathwish music and merch in their store right now using the link slash the first ever, which automatically applies the discount and filters the site for all items included. Again, that is 10% off all Deathwish releases and merch at slash the first ever. Do you want a recommendation? How about gouge away burnt sugar? This podcast is presented by DistroKid, an incredible service for musicians that helps you upload your songs to all music streaming platforms, from iTunes to Spotify and Apple Music, then pays you revenue from your songs all in one place. They've got a really cool new feature called Splits that allows you to add collaborators so you can pay your co writers and fellow musicians without needing an accountant. To get 30% off your first year's DistroKid subscription, just head to distrokid.com VIP hardtimes. Today's episode is brought to you by Anchorfish Printing. Hey, are you in a band? Do you run a label? Or maybe you just want to make some merch for fun. You should hit up Anchorfish Printing. They've been taking care of bands for over 15 years. I first met the owner, Michael, when my band Touche Amore started, and he was our go-to guy. You can visit what they have to offer over at anchorfishprinting.com. You can hit them up for all your merch needs, whether it's screen printing, embroidery, or maybe you just need some stickers. Mention the first ever podcast and get 10% off your order. <laughs>
1: But okay, so so you're in high school, you're listening to new metal I it, like obviously the rest of the rest of it like that's the focal point uh, is music right like but, yeah but but did you like fall pretty heavily into the rest like the the accompanying subculture like
0: uh, um yeah I mean like I, in high
1: school like the the friends you had this the social group you had. Uh, yeah we definitely was it, was it more than just like listening to music was it like a sort of identifying thing even that early on
0: oh yeah all wearing all black black fingernails um called you know and it was a, it was uh an extra you know i feel i mean this it plays into the world we're living in now not to get so fucking dark right now but like this was the era of columbine sure and after columbine happened our whole friend group was like so 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 uh pointed out you know what i'm saying like um we were harassed a lot uh there was one time in particular where like um my friends and i all got dragged into the office um and uh we weren't being told why the way they took me into the office like i was like i think i was in the gym and like was about to change for gym class or something and two cops came in and like called to see where, you know, it was like, is Jeremy in here? Like Jesus. the whole fucking locker room. You know how fucking does it. Like every kid goes, Oh, you know, like, oh yeah. and they grab me and they like, they're walking me through the halls and I'm like panicking in a way. to where I'm like, is one of my fucking parents. Okay. You know, like right. what is happening?
1: You can't even and, like conceive of, and the they won't tell me what's happening. Be, right. Yeah.
0: I'm like, cause I'm like, I I don't get into trouble. I'm like, like what the fuck did i do right and then they like throw them in the office and it's like me and like five of my asshole friends who are all wearing like 9 ish nails or like marilyn manson shirts or whatever right. shirts <clears throat> and uh basically <laughs> two of my friends at some point wrote a list of things that they don't like and that was reported yeah. as like they're making a hit list kill list, right?
1: whatever yeah i was- swear to
0: god on this list had like k-rock
1: yeah i'm gonna kill k-rock
0: yeah so sure. uh each of us got dragged in interviewed by the principal vice principal the chief of police like the whole thing and Good they're like lord it was a whole i mean burbank's so fucking bored too so like yeah but i mean the entire like every school went i talked to friends throughout the years like every school went through this where like oh, yeah. if you were a goth kid you were immediately totally um pinpointed out you know what i'm saying so like
1: yeah, there was. I oh. mean, just the whole like trench coat mafia thing, yes. and like immediately again, you know, ten years after West Memphis Three, like finding a way to 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 point to external factors that exactly. are effectively unrelated to like look at the CDs in the CD booklet and be like, "This is
0: dude." They for, like
1: backmasking, like Led Zeppelin. Like it's, yes. it's it's such a it's such a predictable moral panic that we pin things on the alternatives of the world when when something like yeah. this happens because we're trying to make sense of our own failures as a culture and as a society but
0: i remember just like them asking they're like they're like do you want to tell me about this list and i was like what he was like do you want to tell me about this list and i was like i it took me a long time to figure out he thought i was just being dodgy and then once he kind of, once i kind of figured out what he was talking about i was just, and you know i was like what and then um you know i was like i I told I remember telling the guy i was like i promise you we are like the least violent people you could ever meet you know like i was like none of us have even been in like a fist fight like we keep to ourselves and just like we were all playing in bands together i'm like we all just make music and hang out every day and he's like okay that's what i'm going to tell my superiors that jeremy balm thinks that i don't have anything to worry about and i'm just like i mean yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. what do you want cool, me to dude. say yeah <laughs> um so that was terrible my two friends that made this quote-unquote very scary list uh they ended up like getting their bedrooms raided gee obviously didn't find anything except for like you know journals of like fucking stuff that if you were looking to make something seem heinous it would definitely not paint you in a good picture it's like we're playing in we're playing in gothy new metal bands and they find the lyric book of a 10th grader good luck
1: idea yeah i know i know that (laughs) so i'm sure there was (laughs) some yeah yeah some very well thought out imagery in those in those early journals the same thing Uh, for me i definitely had shit that i think that if i had gotten in trouble they would have been like
0: dude raising red
1: flags at the time because i was just like i don't know you're you're like awkwardly pantomiming the art you're absorbing so like of course it's going to sound alarming but it's also going to (laughs) be like middle school and high school poetry
0: so yeah and like that's what i'm saying like i feel so bad for young kids today that are like introverted and just maybe are keep to themselves and like art you know because there's a big difference between those kids and a kid who's in like an incel like there's a (laughs) there's The right, biggest, we're concerned, different... about,
1: we're concerned yeah. about the wrong... we're Again, we're concerned about the the wrong profile.
0: Yes. Right. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Um, but, um, you know, so around that time, though, I, there was a few bands I was listening to that I didn't know were, like, on the fringe or actually hardcore bands. Yeah. Um, because of going to places like D.P. Cooper's and stuff, I would buy... I would look through every booklet. So, for instance, I had, like, Strife's in This Defiance, and I bought that because chino from the deftones sings on it so when i opened that booklet and i saw vocals by chino moreno i was like oh my god and it's two bucks for sure you know what i'm saying so like i didn't understand what that was and i was also buying anything that was on roadrunners which led me to like vision of disorder which is like one of my favorite early bands like favorite hardcore band um didn't know they were hardcore band had no idea until i went and saw them and then i was like this is different (laughs) oh my god
1: this is a whole different world i have not to have not experienced that's so i love i love that era and i and i wonder you know the way that people discover music now is i think probably if not via the internet then from algorithms and from spotify recommendations and similar artists but that was such a thing back then and and especially i think probably for you as like a certifiable record store kid even at a young age was like reading the liner notes and finding bands that way or like this person guessed or this person said this in an interview and like a lot of those bands that were you know bands like I mean, deftones are the perfect example where they're like a new metal band but or or nine inch nails like they 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 dip a toe in in multiple Uh, sort of like competing realms so that's like the perfect kind of gateway band or even you know rage like inside out and
0: like totally yeah if you do just like the minimal research you're gonna find so because of deftones i found far which became like far felt like it was my band because i was like they're not on the radio they're on the same label as corn they are friends with the deftones they tour with the deftones they kind of look like the deftones you know like they're like the, just like small, like smallish looking people with like, you know, like skater. They kind of look like skaters in skaters. a way. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like they don't, they're not looking, they don't look like coal chamber. They don't look like corn. They're wearing like ringer t shirts like, and jeans.
1: Yeah. They're not decked out in like totally the, the new metal regalia. There's no,
0: yeah. There's, there's no, no air like, about that at all.
1: Presentation. Yeah. 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 Right. I knew, I knew so, Far was a big one for you. I knew, huge. I remember yeah
0: huge, huge, and like uh, I went to see far they were like one of my first concerts, and I went to see far, and Snapcase did a surprise set before they played, and I had no idea what I was seeing, you know what I'm saying? sure there's like ninety eight um there's photos from that show that I remember finding on a website many years ago that I still have saved somewhere um i'm so small jordan so you're I'm like what so so you're so like small.
1: 15 16 16 90, at this 98 not yeah, i'm like 14 15 years. So you're so, still you're still in high school yeah
0: Yeah, i'm small and yeah. i am small <laughs> i did not have a growth spurt until i was like in senior year i was a small person so okay. like i mean you're um, talking
1: to a small person so i was still waiting for my growth spurt <laughs> no anyway go on
0: i'm front and center and I'm just so excited to see Far. I am so excited to see this band. I am going to sing every word. And then Jonah Madranga comes out and he says, hey, we're going to let our friends play a couple songs. They're called Snapcase. And I looked at my friend. I what? said, "I said, well, what is that? That sounds cool. And then the entire place goes fucking crazy. And like... Where was jumped, the show? Uh, the Roxy. The Roxy? I was at the Roxy. So like, I'm just getting just... Trampled, (laughs) just annihilated. Yeah. But I remember it. That was the first time that I felt that fear that I think brings so many kids back to hardcore shows.
2: Hmm.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, I can remember feeling like I can get hurt at any second because I never felt that in new metal shows. New metal shows were just like push pits you know what uh, i'm saying yeah,
1: body, body mosh push pit yeah, yeah or yeah.
0: pogoing you know what i'm saying yeah, it was yeah,
1: like family values tour pretty like harmless Woodstock, yeah, yeah yeah
0: um i saw the first family values tour i was front and center of course you did. uh uh had diarrhea um <laughs>
1: happy 100th episode jeremy you're talking about (laughs) diarrhea family values (laughs) Tour. there's a point to this story
0: i'm up front i'm i i i i never went to the bathroom i just held it and it eventually just went away which sucked um because i'm just like i'm just like i can't lose my spot and also there's like a million people behind me there's no way i can make my way back here yeah i hope this just goes away and um i i continued i i will say that no accidents happened. but when ice cube played the sound of that bass was so fucking devastating. Like it was, I can't, I can't be here. My chest was my, my, like my ribs, my chest were just like crumpling. And I was like, boy, this is truly a test. This is truly a test of uh, perseverance. (laughs) Um, but yeah so <laughs> anyway, uh, the fear, anyway the fear
1: the fear felt watching a hardcore band play yes
0: like that i'm interested that, in this that true that true like i can get hit in the face yeah. at any point i've never really been hit in the face before like everything is scary and i just felt that like i need to experience more of this but i didn't know where to go you know what i'm saying it's, like i didn't it's
1: thrilling yeah it's yeah. Like such a such a unique emotion i think to to like have uh fear that creates palpable excitement it's like a a feeling that's difficult to replicate and i think being at a hardcore show is like uh yeah it's like that's a perfect way to describe the feeling of being at like the 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 correct hard hardcore show especially at like a pivotal moment in your development
0: yeah so i saw them and i was like Man, that was really cool. That was really cool. What's really awesome is fast forward uh, a couple of years ago, um, Hesitation Wounds got to play the California Takeover anniversary show, which is like Earth Crisis Snapcase yeah. Strife. <laughs> we got to open that here in LA. And um, I'd never met anyone in Snapcase before. And um uh, before they played, uh, they're all kind of hanging around the stage, just like waiting to play or whatever. And I went up and I told them all that story. And they were just like, You were at that show? Like sick and they told me it's legendary to them
1: too yeah they're like
0: they're they're like we weren't like we were just in town and then jonah like dragged us there and said can you please play some songs and we were like i guess so it was cool to hear their side of it as you know so many years later and how important that was like it was a really cool moment to like it feels like a
1: very unique moment like even even now that feels like something that would almost never happen just like just like a yo just come on stage and play my shit for three songs or whatever is like yeah yeah an artifact of a different era.
0: Straight up, and that's very Straight cool. Up. So, so that yeah. was
1: like, so you did you fall pretty hard into the hardcore universe after like getting hear, seeing Snapcase, whatever, hearing Vision of Disorder, just like getting into? Did that make so, sense to you immediately? And did you well, did it's, you like it's a, dive
0: in? It's important to mention that also in that same time, around that same time, um, I got the Ozfest VHS cassette, which mm. has Earth Crisis on it, and I remember seeing that and being and like I, you know, i always say like there's a lot of gimmicky new metal on that vhs um and i remember just being like wait these dudes are just wearing like fucking camo pants and like they have their hands x like but then they're harder than and heavier than anything else on here like i need to know more about that so at tb coopers i found Gamora season ends bought that learned about straight edge so like even when i was a new metal kid i didn't know another hardcore kid like me and my friend zach at the time like we kind of just found these bands together and we're like, I guess we're straight edge. Cause we never wanted to do drugs anyway. Cause our parents asked us not to So, <laughs> like, <laughs> the softest thing in the entire world. But like, it's like, it's I, so you good know, though. yeah. Yes. So we're like, now we have an excuse. Now we can feel like we're cool by saying we're straight edge, you know, like now yeah. we can say that, like it gives us an identity to use as an armor, as opposed to just saying, I don't want to do drugs. You sure. know? Sure.
1: So it's your tribe. And, and yeah. Totally. I, I love that I feel like at the way the way I, I, I always think about my own journey is like signposts, right? Like it's not just like you get into one thing, it's like you get into one thing and that gets you to another thing and that gets you to another thing. And it's interesting how so often it's like a rejection to something else and then a rejection to that other thing, right? So going from listening to the radio to No Effects and Nirvana and then like getting into new metal and then hearing the band that sticks out on the Ausfest cassette. Right. So then it's like, oh, this is a whole nother thing. And you like kind of whittle down what makes sense to you as a person until it becomes like an identifying totally thing universe. So like, yeah. So you knew, I mean like finding, finding earth crisis, finding straight edge was like that, that felt like a community, even if it was just you and another homie, just like
0: that made sense to you. Well, it's I didn't meet another straight edge person until probably like maybe my junior year. And it was like a boyfriend of these two. Uh, uh, it's a boyfriend of this girl that um, they were twins. Uh, his name was Steven. Funny enough, he actually was the person like he was the first person I asked to play bass in Touche. And he ended oh. up being too busy and he ended up not being able to do it. So like um, he was the first straight edge person I ever met um and like uh his girlfriend uh like i said they were twins like i went to prom with the other twin you know it's like these people are like really pivotal pivotal in my life uh when i was like growing up and um so like yeah i i didn't really know anybody and also like at the time i'm playing like my high school band um is like a new metal band and i'm playing guitar in that and we're in you know all black eyeliner we're in you know Mm. But, and we're terrible, we're terrible, um, but it's funny, like I remember though that even in some of those songs that we uh crawled our ways through um there was elements we could tell that we were listening to Earth Crisis. It's like though okay. we were making the most fucking bouncy down no no, no,, no no, no no,, no, no,, no, no, type sounding new metal, um, there was like chuggy parts that kind of sounded like we... yeah, so um so you're starting was,
1: to incorporate it maybe yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah terribly but we're, we were <laughs>
1: yeah how, how long i mean so you were playing you had bands in high school just um, the one it was the, the one, one
0: band yeah so well in junior high uh so the two friends that um got uh their rooms raided, mm-hmm. the three of us my very first band uh was with those two guys um and that band was called Victim of Atrocity.
1: <laughs> Excellent band name.
0: It's <laughs> just terrible. Uh I told I told Pierce from Soul Glow that uh on his episode and we just laughed. It's like, oh yeah, someone is so much atrocity. These fucking these <laughs> three kids from Burbank, California. Oh, you, you each you so you
1: were each a victim of atrocity yeah, for yeah. sure.
0: Um and we only played one show and it was a talent show that was the first show that i Sick. ever played uh and we covered blind corn i'm playing guitar and singing okay i'm wearing an adidas jumpsuit i'm playing oh, my fender like... strat <laughs> so far from the right tuning so far oh, from sure. the right tuning. um my i mean my my i have I'm I'm a child. My voice is I'm a child. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, ear piercing high voice, just yeah. I've you know there's a videotape somewhere oh, in my shit. world. Shit, somewhere in that apartment. <laughs> I don't think that I could watch it. I don't think that I have the capacity to watch it because I think sure. that my skin would crawl yeah. off and catch a bus and i would never see my skin again <laughs> no
1: totally i um, i want no part of myself in yeah. honestly any era so if like fucking <laughs> high school talent show sounds uh, horrific but if you do if, if you need somebody to yeah. watch it
0: on my behalf yeah yeah, sure. you can
1: ship it to me i'll just need to be uh, so i'm wearing
0: like... i'm wearing that and the other two are just dressed like Marilyn nansen so we made <laughs> no sense they're Shit. wearing like 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 uh like vinyl pants mm-hmm. and uh you know like mesh t-shirts, full makeup, like the whole thing. And I'm just like on the corner in my Adidas jumpsuit. So this band wasn't gonna last. No. Um. No. So we we broke up. Uh. They started a cool band in high school called Virus. Uh. That was cool. And then I started a band called Stricken with my friend Zach that uh, I was talking about. Yeah. Um. And that band. St- stayed a band through after high school. Um and then we eventually changed our name to Thriller when Zach left.
1: Oh, so okay. So this is I was yeah. gonna ask about Yeah. The, it the started Thriller as origins.
0: like Yeah, it started as like the really bad, really, really bad uh new metal band and huh. made its way uh all the way to to Thriller somehow. So it's like um many member changes. By the end of Thriller, I think I'm yeah, I was the only original person gotcha. you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah so but that was uh, how you
1: that was your that's when you first started to pursue music yeah. a, a bit more seriously when you first started touring yeah. was with thriller
0: yes my first tour, yeah all of that like and real recording experiences like stricken recorded um so we did a couple demos um our final demo we did uh with um the guitar player singer guy from that metal band the faceless which oh, yeah. is kind of crazy because yeah, they ended whoa. up having like a, a, a huge career uh but he was like a local kid in the valley uh so we recorded with him um and this is cool too because like nick steinhardt knew like was in that world and like recorded with recorded with him and okay um we are all sort of getting to know you know like we we're all kind of in each other's periphery i'm also working at the record store at that point so i've met clayton at this point um uh, just by clayton
1: coming into the store
0: yeah clayton was a customer he was genuinely a child like i was yeah. i started working there when i was 18 and and clayton started coming in there when he was like yeah like 12
1: okay. you know so yeah, i've known him clayton. since he was a very close, little close kid to my age. yeah
0: yeah doesn't um, surprise
1: me that the two of you gravitate towards each other like this the same sort of yeah record store kid Uh, yeah
0: yeah him and so and tyler was his was always his best friend so like the two of them would come in all the time sure and um you know he'd always be wearing like a strokes shirt or something like that and then like he was interested in like modest mouse like he liked those kind of bands you know he was into like kind of weirdo indie stuff um that he was finding on his own um and then i think i started like pushing some hardcore stuff onto him you know i think he got interested in bands like You know the poison the wells of the world converged certainly totally um and uh so that's how our friendship you know kind of started so then uh thriller broke up uh or i no sorry thriller did not break up i left thriller um in you know when i was like 23 or something like that okay it was like 23 and then started touche like almost immediately after After. that that, at that point i was like i want to try singing in a band yeah know what that know what that's like you know
1: so you had never that that, i mean you had sung at the talent show on your cover of (laughs) Corinne's wine but you'd never like you never uh been the vocalist yeah you did i
0: dipped dipped my toe uh as doing like um backups in thriller i would do i would like do little things here and there like there was one song that i kind of sang an outro to that i screamed an outro to okay and then what i think really wet my whistle was we toured with this band from Salt Lake City. They were called I Am the Ocean. And they right before we left for tour, they were like, by the way, our singer's not coming. And we were like, Huh? Interesting. Uh, yeah, we're just gonna they're like, we're just gonna play instrumentally. Fuck it. And they were like not like a like a pelican. You know what I'm You're, saying? Right, they were they, like a they they, they needed a they needed vocalist, a vocalist right? Yeah, yeah. 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 It it was it was shocking that they made this decision to be like, yeah, we're just gonna fuck it. We're just gonna still do it. What an incredible
1: uh, thing! That's so good. Yeah,
0: it would. Yeah, it would be like fucking. It, it, I don't even need to give an example. You know exactly what I'm totally. saying. Totally. Anyway, um, so vocal they dependent.
1: had vocal dependent band needed, needed yes. a singer. Not not songs constructed to be singerless.
0: Right. Yeah. So they had one song that was a little bit shorter. It was super aggressive. And it kind of had parts that, like, you know, were very hardcore-ish. And I was like, "I'll let me sing that one. I'll sing that one with you guys." Yeah. And they were like, "Oh, for real?" So I started doing it with them every night. And I mean, we were playing to people that didn't know either of our bands. We were, our bread and butter. I've talked about this before, but like our bread and butter was like playing every city that no band has ever played before. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> like
1: middle of fucking Uh, nowhere PA if you
0: think if you think reno is like a sea market baby sure we were playing places that reno's never heard of (laughs) um so uh people will come it was a hack i mean we're booking we're booking tours through myspace you know it's like
1: because because people like in towns like that they'll go to whatever there is something to do same yeah. we did that all through the midwest and the east coast just like anywhere and yeah through, through myspace through like uh, book your own fucking life. The website, not the Zine Edition, byofl yeah. dot org or whatever. And yeah, that was the other one. Do DIY USA. Just like just hitting people up. Whoever whoever says yes, just like go do it. You're you are playing. Show up and the show. No fuck one's nowhere. there. Yeah, well, yeah, totally. <laughs> like sleep like not even floor, the guy who said he'd set up the show. <laughs> <laughs> or like they're like, I don't know why nobody came. Like I put up a flyer at school. I forgot to put the date on it or the location, but like I am surprised yeah. no one's here. And you are like, huh anyway yeah
0: you one, there was one there was one great night that i'll never forget <clears throat> where we played in missoula montana sure and you know standard tour stop mm-hmm. and um the promoter double booked the show with a pride parade after party okay which <laughs> we were like huh and they're like yeah so we happened to have a merch item that said our name with a gigantic rainbow and we were like we're like huh this i mean if you're down to combine them but we're like we're just gonna bum everybody Every out when we play is this so, this is
1: thriller or is this this, this, a thriller.
0: this is thriller so we open doors open we sell all of our shirts hell yeah all of the shirts with the rainbow <laughs> design on it we have not even played yet we have the best merch night of our band's career and it's then we good. played and um no one left <laughs> so that's cool but we didn't play a long time you know whatever
1: yeah
0: uh but yeah that was one of the more successful nights and that's like the kind of story that only really could have happened in that sort of situation yeah
1: you know what i'm totally, saying? absolutely the era um, of touring that you probably yeah. would never go back to but that like right stands out in and your like, brain because yeah
0: Yeah, and we sounded like a sort of like an every time I die sort of thing, but we had like these like dancey parts that were in it because we were big fans of like the faint. So it's sort of like a mix of those two sorts of things, but done as good as we could do. Um but uh but i mean we did we did tours with like short tours of, like horse the band like they're from here yeah. you know so like they were like our friends and cool. stuff like that so like yeah we were, we're in starting to bit...
1: build connections like yeah networking and the kind of thing laying the foundation which yeah is, which is rad which is i feel like how it happens yeah. how, how you do it and then how long after that was i mean you said you, you were starting to shay because you
0: yeah i the i left that band um and really wanted to just try singing so uh i had met tyson our original guitar player Mm -hmm. um and tyson would always play uh like play an acoustic around you know like not like he's the guy at the party who's playing the acoustic
1: he's playing (laughs) crash on the quad at the university
0: but like he's playing guitar like around me or whatever. And I'm like, dude, what is that? And he's like, Oh, I'm just made up. and it was like stuff that was like screamo and like he and I both bonded over like that whole subculture that became right. very important to, to me and a lot of my friends. Totally. And I was like, yo, we should start a band. And he had never even played out of an amp before. Like he didn't own anything. And I had just quit a band where I was playing guitar and I want to sing. So I'm like, you could just use all of my stuff. Yeah. Um, so Tyson and I started fiddling around and then we met uh, or I was friends with this guy named uh also named Jeremy his real name is Z. Yeah. Uh and he's he was a great drummer um and so like the th- I believe it was like the three of us started to kind of jam and then um we a- I asked that guy Steve who ended up not making it to, not joining the band um he was I think just too busy um and then we have a friend named Dewey, who is actually Nick Steinhardt's best friend. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever met Dewey. I've met Dewey. Yeah. Uh, so I asked Dewey. So for listeners, Dewey recorded our songs for the Make Do and Men split. I, and actually the largest Beauty split, sonically. Yeah, he, he recorded, recorded the those. music. Okay. You did the yeah, you yeah, tracked yeah. the
1: vocals with me. And with oh, you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, not um, with me. I did not record them, but uh, you were with us in the studio. I was video. with you. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I was uh, not behind
1: the mixing board.
0: In retrospect, we have to talk about that at some point. In retrospect, how rude of me to just show up and say I'm going to use your session. I don't know how that I mean, was put together, but um it, it was worked. very odd, it but worked. It, That's... it worked out. Yeah. Um so the uh we asked Dewey and <laughs> I'll never forget Nick basically was like, "Here's the deal. Dewey's going to flake. There's no way Dewey is going to do this. I'm going to take his base." And I'm going to come over and I'll play bass. Sick. And I was like, really? And he was like, he's like, yeah, there's no way that Dewey is going to remember to do this. So I'm just going to do it. And we're like, okay. So that's how Nick joined the band. He came over with Dewey's gear.
1: Dude, I did. I did not. I knew the Tyson thing. I did not know that that Nick just knew his friend well enough that he was like, I'm just going to save you guys the hassle. I'm just going to do it for you. So you don't have uh, don't have issues on the line
0: he's done like an impression of doing being like do like doing me like Jeremy asked me to like go play in his fucking screamo band or something sounds stupid. (laughs) Nick was like, all right, I guess I'll do it. Uh, And then uh, I'm pretty positive. Clayton was the last to join the band. (laughs) We want another guitar player and um, he's Burbank kid. And I've known him for a really long time. He was playing in a band called uh, salt, the pillars uh, that was like a screamo band. And they were really cool. Uh, So he, came and we started practicing and starting to write songs, and, was it
1: conceived uh, as a screamo band? He said you bonded over Tyson and with about like yeah,
0: it was, what? but like that was like the idea, but then, like at the same time, like Nick doesn't know what that is, right you know what I'm saying, yeah. and like you know the things that Nick and i we all i mean even to this day there's like four i'm sure a lot of speed is the same way there's like four maybe five bands that the five of us 100%. can collectively yeah. agree on yeah. and we have very very
1: few also yeah go ahead
0: right yeah and like i think the though tyson and z are no longer in the band like and now we have elliot and tyler obviously but like uh when you hear what those bands we agree on are it does completely make sense for how we sound where it's like Uh we all agree on envy we all agree on converge Mm -hmm. we all agree on jimmy world (laughs) um and we all agree on rancid um <laughs> and what's another one uh i think death cab okay where you're like i can hear yeah, all like, of that yeah yeah so um i you know it was sort of the same thing with when touche was starting where it's like z knew it was gonna be a, z, a, a we're trying to do a screamo thing tyson for sure clayton for sure um but you know as i always say like i think that the hardcore kid probably mostly in me and probably a little clayton like kind of poked through a Jumped little bit through. more to where it's yeah. like yeah i can see you're trying to do like the page 99 thing but like i could also tell you that you like hope con totally you know or like you like modern life is war yeah so yeah no stuff, i, I yeah, yeah
1: i can i've always that's how kind of always how i i mean i'm sure in the last 15 years we've talked about it but i i, I i've always kind of I, I don't think of your band as being either a screamo band or a hardcore band in the same way i don't think of our band as being either of those things but i i can see how common threads from each of those genres and and obviously you know nick who's not probably interested in either of them on the same level would, would like yeah. to create like this primordial soup from which touche climbed out i guess and, and i love right. that i think that's the coolest thing is like being different people from different backgrounds with different interests coming together and making one thing sound the way that it does is is a super interesting what, process
0: what's really funny too is when nick joined uh he was working at Hydrahead. Yeah. he was doing a lot of design stuff for them
1: long hair and new. he
0: had this fucking long hair and mm-hmm. huge beard mm-hmm. and i remember telling to- he i guess i told the guys in my band i'm like dude he's gonna look sick he's got this fucking big beard he looks fucking scary and then he showed up and he had just shaved and i was like ah, <laughs> it's like well that's a letdown um and then yeah so like his you know his um influences that he was bringing into the band though was uh certainly that Hydrahead stuff was an interest to him but also like i mean his favorite bands were like the, was like afi and like the okay, nerve agents yeah. Like sure. some of that like kind of more faster melodic punk stuff. Like he also really likes like Mill and Colin. So there's like, yeah, loves Mel Colin. Yeah. Nick, um,
1: Nick Steinhart. It's like a, in so many layers.
0: So many layers, truly. <laughs> uh so like, yeah. It but you know, it started to just gel and um then we, you know, pretty shortly thereafter, because we started jamming at the very end of two thousand seven, but um I think we recorded our demo by like January. I want to say okay, it might have been like January, and then we played our first show in February of two thousand eight.
1: February two thousand eight. When did we first play together? Do you? Or we we played so, right not that long. Only after.
0: if only there was a website that had every <laughs> oh, single show that we oh, ever oh, played. There's
1: a detailed archive of Toucher. Detailed
0: more archive. Shows. I will tell you the day that you and I met. In person, in and person, we hugged in the parking lot because of we, Motion LA. That, oh God,
1: Motion LA! What a spot! I, we talked about. I think we probably talked about this on my episode of this show, but I just remembered fucking Justin from Ghostslim duct taping the microphone stand inside a trash can because <laughs> there was no there was no functional mic stand at Motion LA. <laughs>
0: uh certainly not. Um, you and I met January seventh, two thousand nine
1: okay so the year uh, after yeah. you play so okay so so exactly. we, so we had been just a year and we yeah.
0: uh had put a record out on or did the no wait what the fuck our was, demo came out just after your for your first record with no sleep
1: okay so like end of 2008 early 2009 or it would have been it would have been end of 2008 because we had i remember listening to it um on the work computer at my Brad and I's parents' hardware store, I remember. Oh, like, okay. Listening to, I don't know if we'd messaged before, or if I just we just knew that that Chris was doing the demo, Ye- and we listened to it, and we were like immediately, "Oh fuck, this band is so sick!" Oh, that's I don't awesome. think we Ye- I don't think we'd spoken yet when the record. I don't
0: think so either. I remember Chris was telling me the bands that he was working with. And for me, like, I had met Chris Hansen from No Sleep because he was working in the warehouse at Revelation. And I think I had seen that he was starting a label. And I was just being a little bit of an opportunist where I was like, oh, I'll bet this guy will pay for a seven inch. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's where my brain went. I was like, I didn't know anyone else, really. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, Like, 6131 was happening, but they were putting out stuff that was like so far from anything touche sounded like, and like, I didn't, at that point, I didn't feel comfortable asking Joey to do anything yet. So I was like, yo, Chris, like, what do you think? Trying to find somebody
1: who might have the capacity to. Yeah.
0: And he, he was, he agreed. He was down. And then I think we started talking more often, but then told me about your band. And then I feel like it was within the same fucking couple of weeks where I was like, oh, they're doing a West coast tour could you help them out with some shows yeah and it was like yeah we can do that for sure there's these fucking ravers that let us scumbags (laughs) play in the back of their venue um and they're weird and they uh they'll they'll look the other way as we you know all play in his in their back room so that's how that show got booked i was so excited i mean that show was stacked i mean it was cool that we got to play with like madre and Fugger. madre go
1: slim, go slim you guys, yeah. us and then the band that we were on tour with Sun. Sly. Sons, sons oh, sly and sons. the family sons no, no. Sons. we were on tour yeah. with sons sly, uh yeah. barkis sly and the golden egg that like that's it like that's two piece screamo band maybe they were three piece i don't know that was the era yeah. of like of like I don't know what what wave, nth wave Screamo, third, third wave Screamo, I feel Right. Like, where like all of the people like you and I who like got into page ninety nine and Seisha and Envy and Circle Thakes a Square were like doing our version of that. So like I feel like there's a whole extended network across the country of just like DIY Screamo bands that I sincerely I don't, i'm not even gonna say sincerely hope still exists i know for a fact that it exists right now maybe Straight up, in a way that's stronger than it's been in fucking maybe ever a
0: long time it, right now there is so many bands and it truly does remind me of what it felt like when our bands were just were becoming yeah. friends with each other we're like they're all connected they're all friends on social media totally. they all play with each other um when they come to town like it's really exciting to see there's so many fucking good ones um But I mean, yeah, I feel like that's kind of a fun thing to talk about. It's like once we became friends and started playing shows together, um, you know, it's like we all kind of it was so it's it was crazy how just like serendipitous everything was where it's like all of us just started like our first time on the East Coast. It's like we just ended up playing with Pianos Become the Teeth um, in Baltimore and like hit it off with those guys like
1: immediate just like yeah. Yeah.
0: same thing with uh same thing with like make doing men like they we were both playing a fest in the bay area and then we're trying to do shows up further up north in like the northwest and it was the thing where it's like hey look we're both trying to play the same city at the same night can we just combine these shows sure. and then just like totally hit it off with those guys and then like you know you ended up singing on their next record yeah so it's just like all of us just you know and i think the fest really plays a role in this too where like yeah. we that was kind of where we would all meeting you
1: know, point that's where everybody meeting came point. together Where like yeah i mean i think about that back back alley that parking lot show whatever that painted black blade yeah <laughs> and it was like yep. all teeth and make the amend and and you guys and pianos and and us and it's just like i think like to, to my mind still the most uh, exciting era in my you know 20 years whatever not 20 years but getting fucking close to it making music is like when we when it was very it was very you know you get the question all the time about like what 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 would you recommend for me like trying to make touring happen whatever and i and the the only advice that i ever fall back on immediately is like help people out play shows help book shows in your town for bands on tour coming through and they'll do it for you it's like build build a network you're all you'll 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 figure out how like-minded you are that that you know, even having this conversation about the way you got into music, so much of it is familiar to me and uh, doesn't end when you get to adulthood. doesn't end when you, you know, hit the road and like put the fucking rubber to the pavement. Like you, it, it gets even more bigger and you realize how big the universe is and how, how, yeah. how satisfying and, and, and beneficial it is to to lift people up and to make friends with those people. And I remember, I think that the first time we met pianos, we slept at their house before we ever played a show with them. Cause I think that you guys knew them and we needed somewhere to stay in Baltimore. Cause we were like playing a show the next day and we rolled into fucking Baltimore at like five in the morning and slept on <laughs> piano classic, floor. Like, yeah. So sorry. Can just like, just... so sorry, but they just opened their doors and like yeah. skateboarded to the grocery store to buy veggie hot dogs or whatever. And then we just like kicked it in the alleyway behind the apartment where Kyle and I think Chad and Mike, I don't remember who all lived there, but just like, yeah. Mutual, mutual uplift, I guess is fucking, yeah the best anyway truly i got distracted you're fine we have so <laughs> much a, we have so much more to thought we have we have 18 minutes before i gotta go and we have so much more that i wanted to talk about Uh we talked about we were just talking about the demo we just talked about yeah the first the early days of touche touring um i mean to the beat of a dead horse is shortly after that 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 was like 2009
0: yeah and and it was interesting too because we thought that the band was going to break up. So we recorded that just out of wanting to have those songs recorded. So that was I like, didn't,
1: I don't know if I knew, I probably knew that at a certain era and a certain, yeah. point, but I don't, I didn't, I don't remember that being a thing. You guys were like, so, so
0: Z quit.
1: I remember and that. Yeah.
0: At that point we were like, fuck man, without Z, we can't be a band. Right. Like, I don't know why we thought that, we just didn't know that many. I don't think we knew any other drummers or something like. I like the,
1: the most crucial component of being in it. yeah, is like, and like a drummer.
0: Yeah, and like not, and you know, I would never take like Z and I definitely are you know like had a falling out, but like I the last thing I'd ever take away from that dude is like fucking great drummer, like oh, such yeah. swagger, like sure. such swagger. Um, so you know, he said he didn't want to be in the band anymore, and. I was pretty devastated because I was really excited about everything. And I, and it was like, Oh, well, like we should still record these songs, I guess, like just so we have them, you know, we're really proud of them. So, um, that was the plan. And then, um, in a very me sort of way, um, I was like, well, I should probably get fucking Jeff from Thursday to sing on this. I should probably get fucking Jeff from my, 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 you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like for this record of this band that's not going to exist anymore i don't know where my head was it's was just very my brain i guess but like um i had met jeff eaton because he moved to la after modern Life Is war broke up um hmm. became friends friendly with him from going to shows i asked him if he'd do it and he was kind enough to say yes that was so remarkable because being in the studio with him when he retracted his vocals for that song he told me he hadn't raised his voice since their last show oh wow so i was like oh so i was like oh wow so like hearing it for the first time since like knowing it was since their last show and just like as soon as you hear that voice you're like that's fucking totally and like Like a pretty
1: like a pretty big deal because it was like a pretty essential band if not uh in terms of popularity but like one of those bands that really spoke to a lot of yes like slightly younger or like earlier contemporaries right like that record was like uh i don't know made, made waves sort of the same way that uh that have heart record did uh yeah after that just like those were records that like felt Pivotal. important off the off the bat so like having jeff yeah. sing on that song which that part's fucking huge very cool is such oh. a rad thing yeah and rickley uh, uh, i mean and you yeah, knew jeff and, you knew jeff a little bit thursday jeff
0: yeah I, jeff and i had a had a cool friendship he and jeff's friendship with me this is probably a whole other discussion but i'll keep it short but like jeff's friendship with me and that band's friendship with me um is was so important to me at like going forward still so important to me now but like really taught me that it's like these guys had no business being so welcoming to a kid you know like i mean i'm not that much younger than him i always felt like a kid you know what i'm saying but like i made like a fan website for them and like was just a nerd for this band and they like went out of their way to always put me on the guest list and like so cool check on me ask me how i'm doing you know like make sure i was at the show that i was comfortable at the show like went above and beyond and like you know once touche became a band that could facilitate doing that for other people i think that it was always in my mind where like Mm -hmm. there's certain people that i always tried to go out of my way to make sure i said hi to or got into the show or something like that and in a way that's probably could have crept into why i want to do this podcast it's i was gonna
1: say this kind of comes full circle is that you you really have positioned yourself in and i say this with I say this as your friend, uh, but also as as somebody who, and I think this is part and parcel with having a close friend, is somebody who admires you. I think that you have always kind of fulfilled that role to a lot of bands. You've really been an ambassador for younger bands. And I think that's increasingly essential to the success of what in some ways feels like a dying industry to me is like somebody to be there to lift somebody up. And Thursday did the same thing, you know, for us too, like took us on tour. Yeah uh andrew andrew recorded wildlife so like
0: uh t- 1000 know, percent. yeah having,
1: having people who've been there before to to give you the opportunity to thrive also or, or even just to say like you know i love what you do
0: yeah i like <laughs> i'm someone that hasn't had an impact on your life and i am also telling you that the art you're making is good is like the most fulfilling thing so like you sure, fucking sure so you know, it's funny. Jeff has told me the story or, like, I maybe I heard him tell, like, whatever. But, like, you know, my high school bands, my thrill... Like, I'd always give those CDs to Jeff. And Jeff was like, thanks, man. And I'm like, I know he thought that shit sucked. <laughs> and, like, so then I gave him the... I sent him the Touche demo. And, uh like, the other guys in the band tell the story. was like, he put it on in the bus and everybody was like, yo, what the fuck is this? And he's like, dude, it's Jeremy's band. And they oh, were yeah. like, what? And... <laughs>
1: the and guy back- from parisinflames.net or whatever <laughs> yeah dot
0: cjp not that, baby <laughs> um, so so yeah it was like you know and so jeff then you know wanted to be a part of it and so in in any way he could so he uh he you know he sang on the record he took us on tour um It was so so cool. Like really showed us the ropes of touring because all we knew was DIY touring. Um, Were they the first bigger band that took you guys out too? First one, yeah. Yeah. Just like right. So like
1: email in our like lotus view Gmail. Just like jaw on the floor, fucking oh Thursday. Just asked us to go on tour, and it was the first non DIY tour we'd ever done
0: wait remind me was it did you guys pick up on the tour after we dropped off was I it the fall so. of troy tour i
1: think yeah it was the fall of troy tour so it was right after we did the wow. other leg of it so to, they had you out for the first leg and then it was we ours. left
0: in houston where did you pick up after that we picked maybe up
1: in, the first show that we played was in louisville i think if i remember right. that
0: could make sense if they if the route yeah, yeah, was it just gone maybe up. they just went up north yeah, yeah.
1: so and, and we uh, was young widows on your leg of that tour because they dropped no. off so it they was... did the first like three shows and then dropped That's off sick. yeah very sick Damn. something happened that they had to drop off or they just didn't maybe they weren't having a good time i don't have any idea yeah. but i remember something happening but it was us fall troy and there's... we had a
0: band the deer hunter oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah yeah i remember that band yeah so uh but i mean like we've told the story before, uh, to like other friends and then like maybe clayton's mentioned it and rather but like we had no idea what we were doing you know like that was the first time learning how to like really being on a tour you know oh, and like first set before. up and
1: sound check in like
0: <laughs> yeah like i don't know it. like i've sound checked i guess at shows before but like not in this capacity you know what i'm saying um the, the thing we always joke about is like the deads thing i don't know if we've we ever reminisced about that we're like you know someone's like all right now once you guys uh get your stuff on stage put uh your put your deads over. over there and we're like yeah for sure we will we look at each other like what the <laughs> is it the fuck is dead dude yeah yeah and then for those <laughs> listeners it's when your uh when your guitar case no longer has a guitar inside of it and it's just the case that's your, that's your what's the is. yeah yeah so uh so like yeah it was like all of those sorts of learning things um and uh oh man yeah it was it was really exciting and we also had an extreme juxtaposition on that one too <laughs> Where we played Houston the last night on that tour, right? Like that was our last show with them. Um, and then the next day we played another show in Houston at Did you ever did you guys ever play Super Happy Funland? I don't think so. Oh I think I would remember the name. Yes, pianos, I know, has played there. When pianos told us that they've slept there, I was like, You guys are fucking road dogs. True
1: true freaks. Is it gnarly? Was it gnarly? It was like a DIY venue.
0: It was uh, on the farthest out, from my memory, farthest outskirts of town. Like, all I remember was like train tracks and dirt. Sure. Um, (laughs) And uh, like, just the, but it was just such a funny juxtaposition to being like, wow, last night we played in Houston. um, In front of like a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, 800 people, 700 people. I don't remember how many people were there. To us, it felt like 3,000. Yeah. And then the next night we're playing to, seven people that wandered into this DIY venue yeah, yeah. on the outskirts <laughs> it was just like wow here we go Contrast, yeah 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 uh I but feel it's that. important it's important yeah um, i mean do you
1: think that do you think that doing that tour uh i don't know i i always think of like w- w- the next when we did wildlife that was like the first time we like actually got the studio experience like we did the first records in grand rapids just like but I think like doing like touring with Thursday, you start to, and, and like being a part of non DIY tours, you sort of start to like learn, learn some lessons about how to function as a band. Do you, do you, did you like, what was the, what was the, the jump from recording to the beat of a dead horse to doing parting the sea? Cause you did that one at like a studio with that Rose. Yeah.
0: yeah. So that was, we, uh, but still, you know, like shoestring budget situation, you know, we signed. So, uh, we signed a death wish which was very exciting um we had gotten some we had gotten some buzz so there was a couple labels that were interested in working with us it was like between equal vision bridge nine and death wish um like
1: big big labels at the time especially yeah like that you know for especially
0: our band. yeah i mean certain and especially i mean this there, those labels are still active now obviously mm-hmm. but like you know especially at that time that was like all of those labels were thriving super hard for sure um but we ended up going with Deathwish; it just felt like the right place to be. But what was important to us was like to still carve our own path. So it's like you know, most bands would sign to Deathwish, and I completely get it. But they would have Jake do the art, and they would do their record with Kurt. Kurt yeah, yeah, I'm a massive Kurt Ballou fan, and I love Jake Bannon's work. So like in in some capacity, I would have loved to have seen what our life and what our career and what our every what Parting the Sea could have looked like and sounded like mm-hmm. had we done that. But we are like, no. Like we have a graphic designer as a guitar player, so Nick is going to do the art for this, mm-hmm. and we're going to go to this guy Ed Rose because he's made some records that sound fucking really good. Like there's the Casket Lottery record, yeah. yeah, that that uh Survival is for Cowards record. It's, honestly, find me a better sounding album. So
1: good, sounds so good.
0: It's I remember sending it to Trey because Trey, when I had told Trey, I was like, we want to go work with this guy. He's like, You're, you you want to go to Kansas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you want to go to Kansas? You live in. Lo- don't you want to go to lot you live in los angeles
1: you live in mecca for yeah
0: yeah what are you fucking doing um so we're like no we want to we want to do this in kansas so we drove uh our tour van i think we might have played a show on the way out i can't remember uh but we drove our tour van out there and it was back in the day when we still owned a van and did the record and we recorded the record live in four days and then we tracked the vocal oh no Tracked the music and three days vocals all in one day shut the fuck up dude (laughs) dude all in one day and dude the the headache like i've never done anything like that i didn't know what i was you i can listen to that record and i hear the pain that i'm in yeah i bet like i don't sound like i do on that album on any other album like my voice sounds very specific to that album and i'm happy for it because I think I hear the experience in everything when I listen to that record and I'm very proud of that very record, cool. but like, but yeah, did did the whole fucking thing in, in, a, in like four or five hours sweating bullets. Oh, I'm like, sure you just, were
1: wiped the next day, dude. Or I'm sure you were and, wiped two hours into it.
0: Dude, the worst headache I've ever had in my life. And like being so in my head, like hearing of my voice back and being like that just doesn't sound good and then i'd be like i have to go do it again and i would just be making it worse every time like it was tough Uh um and then ed mixed the entire record the next day um with us just blowing
1: my mind right now
0: dude uh we sat behind him um in his control room as he mixed it but he also (laughs) had a basketball game he was trying to stream on his laptop (laughs) the whole time and like the streaming was at work and he was fucking irritable and he was really mean um but uh we're great we, this we, is inside we
1: baseball i love yeah, this I yeah mean, yeah
0: we he he had some moments that were like pretty snippy but like everyone who's ever worked with ed will be like oh yeah ed, ed can be
1: a grump that's how he is i i i'm making this a signpost for you because i feel like i feel like the decision to go with ed rose like the atypical and and the decision to have nick do the art do the art direction i feel like that because i and i love to the beat of dead horse and that's the record that i probably have the most emotional attachments to just because we spent so much time touring together around that record and like very pivotal moment in our friendship in our band's friendship in in my band in your band blah 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 and in so many other bands that we're friends with still but like uh that feels like the the parting the sea feels like the moment that like Touche became Touche the way I conceive it now, and and maybe I'm off base, but I feel like I feel like those decisions feel very perfect in the way that they just like really led into you, uh, becoming who your band still is to this day, and and I think you're a band that doesn't sound like, you know, does like it goes back even earlier, but like especially now, a band that isn't a screamo band and isn't a hardcore band and isn't an indie rock band, but like is kind of all of those things at once, and that feels
0: like the moment where that like if if it wasn't we, accomplished it was yeah. set in motion we certainly found uh, without knowing it at the time like we found i think all of the things that would then tell the story for everything going forward with yeah. like whether it's art or or the sonic sound of the band because the sonic sound of the band is very different between those two records like and something i take a lot of pride in is i think that if you if you've if you already knew what our band sounded like and someone put on a song a brand new song if you were familiar with who we are, you would probably be able to tell within a few seconds that it was us. And that yeah. sound is very trebly jangly guitars yep. and very heavy bass and Elliot behind the kit. Yeah. Like well,
1: and your voice. those.
0: Yeah. And sure. And, and that, and like the fact that you can mostly make out what I'm saying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Like the, the enunciating thing is like, has always been very important. I know it's important to you too. Absolutely. Um, so, Yeah, I think all of those things do do play the role, and Ed was able to capture that in four days, and so wild (laughs) Wild that it was done in such a whirlwind, yeah. Yeah.
2: That
0: feels like a nice place to stop. Uh, we're going to pick back up next week and get into Is Survived By, Stage 4, Lament, the record label Secret Voice, uh, Poetry, all sorts of stuff. So that's, uh, that's part one. Part two, be on the lookout next week on Wednesday. Uh, reminder, there's a bonus episode available right now where, uh, subscribers ask questions to both Jordan and I that's available at patreoncom slash the first ever patreon If you have a second to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, leaving a positive rating and review helps so much. All right. That's it. Thank you. I will see you next Wednesday for part two. Bye-bye.